1: I am too. I am now recording. I am now recording too.
0: David, it's so good to hear Perry's wonderful jingle again. I've missed it. I've missed it. It's been too long, Ned. It's it's been been way too long. long. I tell you what's been too long. The 10 or 15 minutes of faffing around at our desks. You're sitting at your desk in Girona, I'm sitting at my desk in rainy Lewisham, and we're, we're, I can see you because we, we've managed to hook up a video link as well as hopefully an audio link. And it's just a sea of cables and echoes and
1: weird uh, bits
0: and pieces, but it seems to be working, Touchwood.
1: We're out of our depth here, and um, I tell you what, I, I'm quite impressed. I think. It, the fact, it only took us 15 minutes. Granted, we are a little bit like the most Generation X people ever trying to manage millennial technology. But uh, I think we've done it. I hope so. Well, we'll probably find out afterwards that we haven't, but let's give it a yeah. go.
0: Yeah. So it's a bit of a reboot, isn't it, for Never Strays Far? Because we're up. 2020 is kind of up and running now, isn't it? So, you know, we're going to try and be obviously much more regular than we were over the, the fallow winter months. Um, because the racing started, and that's kind of that's you know it's proper, or is it proper? Do you count the Tour Down Under as proper? I suppose is a the big question, David.
1: Yeah, I do. I mean, I think that that's what's happened to the calendar. Now there was a time where you would uh the the, the you could almost do uh, if you would have an X and uh, Y axis on a graph, the, the Y being the horizontal and the the, the February to to October you could see the importance fluctuating on the x-axis. So it would rise up to big races and it would drop down again and would rise up and it would have this lovely sort of curve through the year of of kind of where where races were training races, what were actually objective performance, relevant, important races, whereas now it just holds this one steady line throughout the whole year. Every race is important. And I think the Tour Down Under, Tour down Under more than ever, it's uh, every single World Tour race counts. Every single race counts.
0: Yeah. And um, it's remarkable, actually, the tour down under happened at all, isn't it? Bearing in mind the the extraordinary bushfires in Australia just a couple of weeks ago and the cataclysm that that looked like. And, you know, I know that Adelaide, which is where the race happens, wasn't as badly affected as obviously Sydney and the environs and the other coast. But um, still, it looked like it would be um, ill-advised in the extreme to let that race go ahead. And yet... Uh, you know, I know that some of the riders were tweeting various pictures and commenting on the fact that the route went through some scorched and burnt-out vineyards and hillsides and all that sort of thing. Uh, but it was a slightly uncomfortable moment, wasn't it, when you consider how much science suggests that um, climate change has exacerbated the situation with the forest fires. Is it actually a thing that we should be pursuing, jetting people across the world, adding to the carbon mm. footprint that's already so monstrous for a bike race? And then, you know, you wring your hands and then it happens and it's happened. And, and I don't know what I feel about it is, is what I'm, I'm, I'm saying. But there's a, there is a question that cycling increasingly urgently has to answer about that whole, that whole issue, I think.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting you said that. I, I hadn't actually, that hadn't occurred to me because it was more, if I was to think about it, I, I probably think it was more important that it was raising awareness. Because there's always lots of news when the fire's going on. And then the moment it's over, everyone forgets about it, moves on to the next disaster. And then it was just my head was just thinking, I was just going around in circles while you were talking, thinking about that and going deeper. And if you think about it, it's almost 100 years to the year that, it, you, that Paris-Roubaix became a legend because of it was racing through the war-torn northern France. And it became yep. known as a Sunday in Hell. And it's like full circle. Now we're seeing it's a totally different issue the world's confronting, but people are using Hell as a word to describe what they were riding through in South Australia in different places. And if the bike race wasn't going through there, no one else is going to tell that story right now because it's yep. a little bit off the radar.
0: David, is someone torturing a dog in the back? Yeah, hang
1: on a second. It's the dogs again. Hang on, I'm going to close my door.
0: <laughs> oh, um, brilliant. Okay. <laughs> I guess uh, ultimately, you know, unless you want the sport to um, stop, races will happen and they will increasingly happen across the world. And that involves getting people across the world in aeroplanes. And there's no obvious way around that. But I suppose the hope that you've just, I I think, articulated is that the smaller gesture ultimately leads to the greater good and that people join the dots between bikes and, um, and as has been evidenced in the uk and actually you know uh, sustainable transport and bike racing <laughs> but i can hear the dogs in the background. bike racing being part of that um and it's a bit like you know people fret about the the carbon footprint of the tour de france quite rightly and say you know i've had i've been part of this discussion recently can't you stop using helicopters and motorbikes and all that sort of thing can't you use electric drones and all that well a the answer is probably no you can't technically but but also the actual, you know, the, the bit of the Tour de France that televises it, the television OB, is tiny, really, in terms of its carbon footprint, in comparison with the hundreds of thousands of people who go and watch the Tour de France and who are welcome and who are part of it. So people focus on a really, sometimes a really small part of a much, much bigger problem, don't they?
1: Yeah, we only ever see the tip of the iceberg, don't we? We don't see yeah, what's exactly. under under the water and um, whereas our, our case I think cycling's it's I think it's something that's gonna that is being confronted now and it's because of this uh climate awareness the 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 realization that we have to begin to build a circular economy that we have to be sustainable that actually uh we're reaching the end game of of society's lifestyle and it's time for us to really try and change this and you know, and I, I think also within that, the, and just to make a note of it, because this is quite recent as well, De and Quick Steps uh, changed to 100% carbon neutral. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, a, you know, you've got to love it. It's giving it a go. <laughs> well,
0: the only, reason, I'm not, the only reason I've got a slight <laughs> laugh in my voice is it was slightly undermined by Patrick Lefebvre just a few days ago. Uh, tweet, basically on the internet, on Twitter, trolling Greta Thunberg. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, for God's sake! Well, he's, really? It, you know, well, he's Patrick Lefever, isn't he? Well, so, he's that generation, know. isn't he? He is the. Yeah, he is anyway, the so yeah. It, yeah. what happened before we move on further? The women's tour, yep. uh, to we- I was, the women's Tour It was important yeah, yeah. this year. Uh,
0: it always is. It always is. It's um, it, it's a, it's a four day stage race. Uh, the stages were uh, divided between four different riders. Um, the first two winners were kind of stalwarts of the Australian scene for the last couple of years. Chloe Hosking, the sprinter, uh, she took stage one. And then Spreddy, Amanda Spratt, uh, took stage two. Um, uh, but it was the American national champion who won the Queen stage, Ruth Winder, who took stage three and basically sealed uh, the overall win. And Simona Fraporti wrapped things up by taking stage four. So um, four riders sharing out the four stages. Um... A lot of the bigger names, though, not present and not scoring just yet. So that really is a kind of season opener, and um but it's the it's the start of you know there've been a few high profile transfers, so it's chance to get used to riders in different kits as well.
1: Yeah, it's also important that to to see that it's once again it's well when I say ang- Anglo-Saxon Anglophone, it's, it's only really Britain and Australia that are embracing uh, the women's tour to this degree at the moment and Tour Down Under, and it's. The first, they're using all their resources and putting it into the the first race of the year, essentially. And so, I think it is important in that sense. And it's a shame that you they haven't got the full, the full crowd there because it's obviously uh, Australia investing a, a lot into that. And and hats off to them. And long may it continue. Absolutely. And then that was followed by the men's Tour Down Under, which
0: just finished a couple of days ago. Um, and it was a, like it's a world tour race. So what would you expect? It's a super strong start list, really, wasn't it? With a few, you know, the exceptions of Team Ineos, who always send a bit of a second string there. It's a glorified extension of their training program, isn't it? They build a, they build a training block around uh, flying down to Australia and make it a bit, a bit of a warm weather training camp with a, with a block of racing attached.
1: Um, but for a lot of other teams, um, it was, it was you know, down to business straight away, wasn't it? Well, um, we said about Team Ineos, but one of the notable exceptions this year was the fact they had Ron Dennis on the team, who after his uh, controversial end to the season last year with his, uh, his departure from the Tour de France and then this grey area of where he's going, what he was doing for the rest of the year, then it was a late official announcement that he was uh, going to Team Ineos. I think it was in November, December, wasn't it? And he's come in and it it looks like, and from everything we're seeing about him, he's loving the team. And I think that gave the team a motivation they haven't had in the past. But yeah, apart from that, I think it's it's essentially the usual suspects. Finally, we get to see um, uh, Richie uh, Porte fully conclude the, the Wollonga normal victory and actually win the race. Because uh, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> poor guy, he takes it and he started to become a bit of a laughing stock in the sense that he does the same thing every year and then it just fizzles out from here on in. So hopefully yeah, this is a good yeah. omen for him.
0: Although the irony was that he he won, uh, he didn't win the Wollonga stage ah, for once. He won the race, but didn't actually win Wollonga Hill for the first time in seven years. Um, that victory instead went to Matt Holmes of Lotto Sudal who's um a, a rider i've kept an eye on for gosh i mean ever since he started really as a as a youngster on the british on the british scene he's he's a he's a tiny lad from uh, lancashire um he's a kind of punchy ardennes style climber but he had very little um very few o- opportunities really on the british domestic scene to show himself off to his best strength and um his team folded at madison genesis that he'd been riding for for a number of years T- to some success by the way he was the best british rider on the tour of britain last year i think he finished top five in one of the editions of the tour of yorkshire that you and i commentated on um, and things were looking pretty bleak for him as they have been for a number of the british continental pros uh until his agent gary mcquade pulled a-, a rabbit from a hat quite frankly and got him a ride with Lotto Soudal. So to go from a defunct British Continental team straight up to World Tour level, and then not just that, straight into a World Tour race uh, where he lined up alongside a pretty prestigious company. They took Thomas de Ghent to the race. They took a lot of their kind of quite big hitters and most notably of course caleb ewan who picked up a couple of stage wins down under as well um but matt holmes won the stage won uh, the Willunga hill stage it's
1: brilliant i mean i i because even that caught my attention i looked into it and was reading that some of the report afterwards and then reading it, even him saying well i don't really know what a summit finish is i've been stuck in the uk the last five years racing there and this is only the second time i've done it and i think i think i'm suited to it and you're like brilliant <laughs> since it's been quite a while since we've had like (laughs) humility and honesty and transparency like that
0: I mean he he, it's worth noting and this isn't in any way to decry his achievement but just to put it in its fullest and, and appropriate context he won it from the breakaway um, it's not like he, he didn't beat Richie Port up Willunga Hill climb. except... Yeah, played.
1: but I think any any bike racer that's been in that situation when you're caught in the final after being in a day long break by exactly. somebody who's he put 25 seconds Richie Port into the next of the GC races in that very short climb, it's like three or four Ks. So that means he was coming like a freight train, and just to be able to hold on to that, that's some achievement. And then he literally destroyed him in the last two three hundred oh, meters. He? So it, yeah. you know it's. Normally, and from my from twenty years of being involved in bike racing, when somebody does that on that stage quite early on, normally it's uh, it, it bodes well because that that you don't hide in that situation, and I would definitely not take anything away from that victory.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely not, and I think David as well that implies a, a real calm head and a great tactical. Uh, analysis of how to race that as well to win from a breakaway in that in that situation would be fascinating. I'm going to try and get hold of him and interview him. He's still down in Australia and he's going to be racing the Cadellation, whatever it's called, the Cadell Evans Great Ocean, whatever the That's hell it's it. called, yeah. race. Um, so, I'm, but anyway, if I get hold of him, I'm going to drop an interview in after this chat and we can hear it from the horse's mouth. But, um, but I think he must have read that situation brilliantly because he will have he will have conserved whatever energy he could have conserved to hold back for the eventuality that he could just about stay with Richie and hold his wheel. And, and you know, that, that required thinking through, I think, at what point do I allow myself to be caught? Because if he'd been caught too quickly on that climb, he probably wouldn't have had a chance. So he must have, yeah. he must have just balanced it perfectly, how much effort to, to commit to the climb and how much to hold back for the finish.
1: Yeah, he, he, he raced it like a winner. He didn't, he didn't race it for attention. He, he took his gamble he didn't go for the big glory Hail Mary and spent a bit of time off the front in his own in a, in a kamikaze attack he, he made the call to get caught and then ride it intelligently and go for the win so as I said that bodes well
0: yeah yeah, he's a really nice guy I remember talking to him years ago at some event and saying what, how do you describe yourself Matt who you know as a bike racer who what do, you, what do you what do you think you are really and he was 21 22 at the time and he went I think I'm just a fat GC guy <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but so was Chris Froome yeah exactly so exactly. you know what I mean yeah, it's like yeah. yeah that's they're the best guys cause you're just see guys yeah you just need to get, get some weight off them and they'll beat everybody
0: yeah, yeah. And also, I'm, I'm mighty relieved that it wasn't me commentating on that because you, I think it was last year on the Tour de Yorkshire I managed to misidentify him about six times. Oh. Madison Genesis riders kept attacking and I kept naming everyone in their team but Matty Holmes.
1: Yeah, and the reason, uh, yeah, thank goodness you were. So it's <laughs> like, <laughs> I just get completely lost. Now, talking to Chris Froome, Ned, Yes, you've you, uh, you've recently been to see him.
0: Yeah, I have. Um, I I went out. Um, I went out to Gran Canaria just this last week, actually, um, to go and see Chris Froome. Kind of at his at his invitation, really. He's done very little media other than the kind of official statements that he's put out like I'm going to be racing the UAE tour etc and his various di- different bits and pieces um quite understandably he's kept a low profile media wise um however for Rouleur magazine um he has made an exception and I remember going and interviewing him for Rouleur magazine in 2013 um when he had yet he was yet to win the tour de france or any um well, it actually, it turns out he had won the Welter. But um, it, it was really a kind of seven years later, where are you at type interview. So he very kindly sort of gave me a day of his life hmm. in which I, I went out to Gran Canaria and spent the day with him, basically, um, getting a sense of where he's at and I suppose more pertinently what he's been through because I think what was most striking uh, was the severe extent and gravity of his crash which i hadn't really appreciated um uh, you know the, you, i think a lot of people know the various the, the inventory of breaks that he suffered you know including two breaks to the femur um a fractured hip uh a completely smashed up elbow that's full of pins and hooks and bits and pieces now his right elbow um fractured vertebra fractured um uh rib and uh punctured lung so basically, his entire right side of his body hit that garden wall at sixty kilometres an hour and just wiped out. Um, he had excellent first responder treatment both in the hospital in Rouen where the accident happened, and then he was airlifted to Saint Etienne, uh, where, in his words, I mean, an, an army of of doctors descended on him, and he suddenly realised the gravity of his situation. And I think reading between the lines, David, he he was exceptionally lucky. Um, not only that, he kept his leg. There is an argument that had he not been Chris Froome, that leg might have come off. Oh. Uh, the bleed, the internal bleeding was so bad, mm. um, and uh, and actually that he is alive because the the blood loss from internal injuries was substantial. So that's that's what he's coming back from, um, and as things stand, he is completely convinced he will make a full recovery not only that um and i'll, I'll please when this comes out in ruler read read all about it but um remarkably david he says that he will win not can that he will win the tour de france i i don't know i came away just having no clue what to make of it except for kind of this this feeling of if anybody can it's probably him
1: yeah i i would not ever dare write him off and I think I, there's a couple of things to that because I, even I didn't know that it, because he has been very quiet about it. He hasn't made a big deal out of it. And perhaps that's, that's, that says a lot about Chris as well. He doesn't want to dramatize anything. And I think he's still in that racing mindset. And the fact that you're leaving there and he's saying, and he honestly does believe that. And when you believe something, you may as well know it. And that's what he's aiming towards. And that's probably what's allowed his recovery. But there's another thing that I've noticed over the, for, for the last decade is, the The amount of times we we hear this story of of people who we we still haven't had the paradigm shift um, regards how we look at um, medicine and how what happens to people, and over and over again we see these athletes that end up in these crashes that would be career ending and dare I say sometimes life threatening, and yet within months they're back on the bike, and within just a few few less months they're um they're literally going back with this commitment to to be uh, if not as good as but better than they were before and that and I think we're not quite up to speed on just what the amazing abilities are of, of doctors and hospitals and medical science as a whole at the moment and then especially if you're on a team one of these big teams and a star like Chris Froome who will get that extra treatment who will get that that special care and when you get that, it's amazing what can happen. Now, that's one thing. But then to have that belief that he has, I think that says more about the person. That says more about this, the character that he has, the, the fact he's got to, the journey he's been on the last, not just the seven years, but the 15 years. I mean, you've been visiting South Africa and you know, you know more than anybody about his upbringing and his life. This is probably the sort of thing that will motivate him and give him that, that's probably that fifth wind of motivation to go for it again and literally the fifth win to kind of do this because he's now got something to fight against again. And I think he's the type of personality, he's got the type of character that needs to have that protagonist, that that opponent. And he's at that degree now where the only opponent he's got left is himself. And it's literally now he's battling against himself.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely right. And and um, it is remarkable, actually. I, I kind of, flying over there, I, I tried to put to get my thoughts together about you know talking to chris again after all these years and quite quite how many races he'd won um subsequently and thinking about it david i, I was thinking about the thri- there are three riders in particular who in their own right you would consider the best of a good generation of of, of grand tour racers naira quintana who's won the vuelta and the giro Alberto Contador, who in many people's eyes is the ultimate racer, and Vincenzo Nibali, who's won all three Grand Tours. And Chris Froome has put them all in their box, one way or another. I know Contador got the better of him at the Vuelta, um, and Quintana on the Cape, but never at the Tour de France. Froome has ultimately overshadowed all three of those somewhat legendary figures in the world of racing, and that is, and he's not finished and that is extraordinary. I think.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, um, and we're already at that point where the of this generation, this this era, that we can have a little bit of hindsight. Even though Chris Froome and Vincenzo Nibali are still racing, and Nido Quintana, it's and Contador is an amazing bike racer. And there is the controversy that he bridged the two generations, and there's still that kind of that thing about Alberto Contador. But I'm a great fan of his style of racing, and I think he was until. Until Chris Froome did the triple, the three Grand Tours back to back, the Tour de France, the Volta España, Giro d'Italia, that was concluding in 2018. Yeah. And, yep. and that, for me, that was then he just stamped his authority on that generation because that was unheard of. And on the back of having won four Grand Tours, to want to go and do that, that was almost to 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 cement that status not necessarily in the public domain but within the peloton within the sport within the history within the 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 annals of, of of professional bike racing and Grand Tour races I think he's there but evidently for him he's not because he's not got the five and so he'll oh, chase the yeah. five and so you know that's what I mean he's battling against himself and he's battling against Bernardino Jacques Cotillo Eddie Merckx Miguel Indrain he wants to be with and those fin- four riders
0: uh, and he finally knows who they are as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah he had no idea in twenty. 20- he didn't know. He had no idea, yeah. really, who Eddie Merckx was. And back then, as well, he had no idea. He could. He kept. I remember when I was doing the interview in twenty thirteen. He kept stopping and saying, "Now, hang on, which one's Bardet and which one's Pinot?"
1: Oh, god, it's brilliant, isn't it? But that's part <laughs> of the charm, right. isn't it? It's, yeah, part, it's of part of the charm. And part it's, part. it's also, yeah. and also, I think what about this as well? It's this is classic professional bike racing, in that it's more than just the bike race. It's all these different narratives that are going on. It's this, yep. this huge, uh, I mean, you've got the soap opera, the individual soap opera of each race and perhaps even arguably each season, but then you've got the movie, which is the kind of the careers, the kind of the generational, the five, 10 years, the 15 years, the individual human stories that are going on. And Chris Froome has now, he's transcended the, the, the kind of the box set, the soap opera, the, now he's onto the kind of the, the all time epic movie. And he I think <laughs> he, he really wants to kind of be, be one of those.
0: I like it, I like it um yeah, no it was, it was really interesting, and I, I yeah i'm gonna I'm gonna start writing it down while it's fresh in the in the mind, and ruler are going to print it fairly soon because there's a lot to there's a lot to go on there, and um yeah, what a story what a what a comeback story that would be um what else have you been up to david i I just before I let you answer that, in fact, that question I just asked you. Um, I went up to the route announcement of the Tour de Yorkshire, um, ostensibly to catch an interview with Christian Prudhomme for this very podcast. And guess what? I screwed up the recording.
1: Yes! (laughs) Well done, (laughs) me. Worth the trip, then.
0: I went all the way up to Leeds and back. Um, uh, It was fine because I got roped in to do some of the presentation instead. So I did my I did my bit for the tour to Yorkshire. Now um, I don't know. You probably haven't had a
1: look at the route, have you? I I, yeah I did have a look. I've looked at the map. No no yeah it looks savage. I I did look at it and I did look at the map and it's yeah mm, yeah (laughs) it's more savage. (laughs) Yeah it's Yorkshire.
0: Um, Hard. (laughs) There there is, however, a slight concern that it's the last. Yeah, and that's all to do with I'm afraid you? you know the 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 Gary Verity yeah. the gary Verity rain at the Welcome to Yorkshire and uh, the financial repercussions. So it's a race that has to start to wash its face financially in ways that it hasn't been doing um and I think just t- you know testing the water a little bit up there there is a slight fear. Paul Mason is the the new um chief at uh, Welcome to Yorkshire who is into his cycling, he gets it, uh, nice guy, but he's got a job on his hands to steady the ship there and there's a horrible feeling that um cycling and the big budget that is involved there might be the first thing that they'd look at in order to save on uh, costs so watch that space and let's hope it's not the last one um but there we go anyway so we'll be doing the tour de yorkshire again for itv this year david and more races
1: as well Paris nice we're doing Paris nice and uh so Have that's we- that's coming around quickly that's only a month and a half away it's,
0: yeah, I'm going out to Stradibianki and then straight from Stradibianchi to join you in London, where we're. <laughs> I've just revealed the fact we're not in France, but uh, we'll be doing okay. that in our usual remote manner from um, the London studios.
1: And you got Lankawi in between as well. You're going to go. go I'm going
0: to the Tour de Lankawi. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm looking forward I, to hearing about that.
0: <laughs> did you race it ever?
1: No, 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 never, never did it. Uh, yeah. I didn't really race. Tried to avoid racing January, February time as much as I could yeah. and, and, until they forced me, but. Um, no, I think that uh, that'll be just. It's just been an interesting experience. I love Southeast Asia, so I think it's. I think you'll have an interesting time out there.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm hoping so. I told your friend and mine, Rob Hales, that I was going out to Langkawi, and uh, he wasted no time in telling me that he won the opening <laughs> prologue or something back in the day and Crit. Uh, prologue and yeah, the <laughs> flat something, <laughs> something flat and short. <laughs> he, he won something. Won, won something flat, um, and. Uh, <laughs> There we go, yeah. Yeah, so Lankawi for me, what, what's coming up on your horizons? Uh, what are you up to?
1: At the moment, uh, I'm going to a a, a a trade fair in Munich. <laughs> so I'm doing that, meeting yeah. with some interesting people Ch- from different companies, talk, chapter three stuff, to talk to them tell about... Me
0: about t- t- David, tell me about this whole, because last time we met, you were buzzing with the direction of travel for for chapter three and you know the plan for the next few years and where it's going to go or is that all embargo yeah
1: no no not at all no it's not embargo because i think it's it's really interesting and you touched on it earlier when we were talking about australia and the, us all having this awakening that, that we to each of our contribution to the world at large and the future and i and because of chapter three and the fact that we've got this company brand that, that we own that's private where we can control its destiny, I began to think, well, maybe what we should do is start to actually make this a fully sustainable company, is start to look into... And from 20... This doesn't happen overnight, and anyone says it, uh, it can is lying. Uh, it's from 2021 onwards, we really do start converting Chapter 3 into this evergreen company that is doing its very best to be not only a a sustainable business regards how we build it, not looking for over-injecting with cash and and leveraging and putting ourselves at risk and having to continuously uh, fake things, but actually turn it into an ethical business that can last for a very long time, but do that through creating sustainable products and sustainable manufacturing, taking responsibility for where we source things from, knowing the people that grow it, make it, sew it uh dye it print it uh, how it's sold where it's sold when it's sold the price points and and start to make everything really take an absolute social responsibility for what we're doing with this because i think that's so important now and i think it's something that i want to, i'm starting to notice i'm doing it if i decide to buy something i want to know where it's from it's how it was made who the company who the people are behind it why they're doing it and And it's taken us as a company probably five years to get to this point to realize and understand the industry properly and see what... Actually, you know what? We do want to do this for a long time and we want to do it properly and we want to give something back. And so that's where Chapter 3 is going. It's It's the most exciting thing all of us have been. We were trying to find where we were. It's not just about about making money it has to be profitable in order to work but it's not just about that we're we're willing to take the time to do it properly and and do something that will last and do something that will leave the world a better place than than when it started because i think that should be the objective with everything shouldn't it so that's where chapter three is good on you good on you
0: i've just spent the morning having publicity photographs taken for my 2020 theatre tour my I'm touring again in the autumn, and I think there's 31 dates in the calendar. 31, whoa! That's and um, we've got a title. We've got a title that is embargoed, and we've got some publicity shots that were done this morning. Uh, they're embargoed. Um, so we've got dates in the diary we've got a name we've got a website the tickets going to go on sale in february and i haven't written a single thing uh, not a single joke you'll Nothing. will be nothing, absolutely
1: no fine i have no doubt but i tell uh, you what we should do though because i think this yeah. is going to be fun um yeah. to the people who listen to this send in uh ideas for what they think the show might be called
0: that's genius. Cause probably be, no, no, let's, probably let's go through one. It, uh, it was called, it's so and obvious. It was no, called... no, 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 don't, don't, It's too obvious. You're just going to work it out straight away, and I'm going to be left with a terribly deflated feeling of kind of, oh, all right, I thought it was clever. No, that's a bad idea. Okay. <laughs> no right. audience interaction don't invite opinions from the general public it's opening the gates of hell david besides which we haven't got the means but to But they do might it. they we might
1: no... they they might come up with a title that will give you a fresh inspiration that will actually inspire you to start too late. writing tomorrow it's all got to press it's
0: okay <laughs> <laughs> I just haven't written a bloody show yet. Oh. Anyway, so you know what? You know what kind of company I'm going to be keeping with you in the Vuelta oh, this year. I'm going times. to be beside myself with work and anxiety again.
1: So when, when does it? Start, so when does it start? Straight after the Vuelta, Is it... uh,
0: yeah, pretty much October, November. But you know, it's quite intense because over 30 dates, I'm going to be touring. You know, five nights a week for six weeks. Are you still doing the? Are you still
1: doing one man show.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's along similar lines to the last one. So every year So every year so to to, to explain to yeah.
1: people what the the show was before cuz uh, there may be listeners that don't know. It's it's well you did the first one which was what was the first one? Yeah, you one saw
0: you saw iteration number 3 and you yeah. saw it as work in progress um and in a very small venue in South London. And by the time it was finished, you know, I was playing to uh, A thousand people, you know, I mean, it was a lot of West End and all that. And um, so it's a laugh. It's it's it is a theatrical. It's not an evening with I'm not just sort of. And then there was that time David and I, you know, it's not just chat about that. It's a carefully, well, I think, quite carefully constructed, humorous entertaining theatrical evening which is a bit like never strays far it just bumbles off into all sorts of random cultural connections but always comes back and touches base with the tour de yeah france it is it's like you kind of
1: use um yeah i, I loved it because it, it does have that basically it's ned doing uh a, a theatrical i was going to say a dramatic and comedic uh, tour through the tour de france yeah. From your experiences to actually what happened in the race with audiovisual, with yeah. with with kind of stuff from the race on the, on the screen with uh, props, it's the it's the whole shebang. It's kind it's of it's it's scene. literally you get to to relive the Tour de France uh, with being led through sight surreally by Ned. Plus plus terrible impressions. I, in the last
0: show, I did a Dave Brailsford impression with a bald wig and some some black glasses on. And um, it got worse and worse as the thing went on. But I did a show up in Edinburgh and um, I was doing that bit and I, then I did a book signing afterwards and the last person in the queue of the book signing was Dave Brailsford's brother, Andy, <laughs> 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 who went, oh, no! I went, no, no, where were you sitting? And he goes, only in the front row. And I went, no, no, were you? And he goes, and then he picked up his phone and he showed me <laughs> all the pictures he'd taken of me imitating his brother. And I went, <laughs> oh, no. and I went, Andy, don't you dare, don't you dare. And he said, no, it's too late. Uh, and he'd already sent them to Dave. Like that. <laughs> and a pa- and Brails- Dave Brailsford's message back to him was was simply said, was he a twat? <laughs> Which replied, "No, no, it wasn't that
1: bad. It's all right. It was, it was a piece of work to Miller as well. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone got it. Yeah, everyone got it. Everyone all got right. it. Yeah. Very good. So when's our next? Uh, so what race we got next? So that's we've done Tour Down Under, then Middle Eastern races well, to to kicking to, off. To Argentina's to is going on now. To the San to Juan. To San Juan. Have I we got? Have we got, our, have we got our? Have we got our man? Our man in Colombia is he able to give us some South america He's our man, man in Madrid.
0: Uh, M- M- Matt Rendell, he yeah. actually uh, he st- came and stayed at my house for a week, which is quite a long time to have Matt Rendell stay at my house. That's a very long house. time to have him in your house. And um, he was, the reason he was doing that is because he was recording, so he's been in Europe actually, he was recording the audio book of his forthcoming Columbia book, the much-heralded Columbia Espacion. Oh, that'll be good. Um, so he's, he's, done, he's done the audio book of it, and that is a, there's a book launch coming up fairly soon, I think in March Uh, at the Colombian Embassy in London. So, no, he's in Europe, but I'm sure he'll be all over it, so we can check in when the um, San Juan finishes and the Colombian races start, etc. And my bold prediction that I made on a a page of the Roadbook website when I was asked to make three predictions for 2020 still holds good, namely that Peter Sagan will not win a single race in 2020. (sighs) Stage one of Tour de San Juan... Has been and gone, and David, he finished in sixth place.
1: Why do you do it? <laughs> Don't <laughs> make predictions.
0: By the time you're <laughs> listening to this podcast, it'll be already on its arse on the floor. <laughs> um, uh, that was good. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Go and, go and see to that dog that's been barking. I know. It's, it's, yeah? it's,
1: his name's Miko. He's, we got him from a home, and he's, he's so Aww. damaged, the little guy. We have to like Aww. take he's, takes a lot of TLC. He's sitting uh-huh. here now, just whining. Yeah.
0: Like like through me. He's like through me. <laughs> he's like he's as <laughs>
1: fast. Yeah. He's amazing. All uh, right, very good. All right, David. Take right. care. See, See you soon. See you Bye. Bye. Bye.